Matthew chapter 6. Finish up chapter 6 tonight. Jesus is speaking, starting in verse 19. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The lamp of the body is the eye, and if therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. It's not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For after these things the Gentiles seek, For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Father, we come before you tonight on this great passage of Scripture, and I pray as your disciples sat and listened to you teach them so many years ago, Lord, here we are tonight, also your disciples, listening to your words, allowing you to disciple us. And God, I I pray that again, God, this wouldn't be just another Wednesday night where we gather and do church things. Lord, we want to have open hearts and open ears that you might speak to us, that we might let these things go from our head to our hearts, that we might truly be your disciples. Thank you for the radical privilege it is for me to be here tonight and share with this church that I love and care for so much. Lord, may we be like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. We are doing a series entitled Being Discipled by Jesus. Well, we're looking at passages of the Scripture where Jesus pulled His disciples aside. Not so much where he spoke to the multitudes, not so much when he was rebuking the Pharisees, but those times when he had those guys that were going to be world changers and he was pouring into them, I mean, we got to be honest, some difficult truths at times. So some things that take some dedication and some, some desire to move away from the flesh, but they're good for us to hear, friends. We looked at this sermon starting with Jesus teaching us that we need to have kingdom attitudes. And those kingdom attitudes are not to be just lived in some Christian commune. They're to be lived in the culture and the community in which God placed us in. We're to be salt and light. 
Jesus went even further and he gave us six Old Testament examples of where the Pharisees were keeping the letter of the law, but they were missing the heart. And Jesus was encouraging his disciples. There's a huge difference between outward religion and inward righteousness. Jesus then goes even deeper to deal with the right way and the wrong way to do those religious things. As disciples, it's not if we give or if we pray or if we fast. Friends, it's when we give, when we pray, when we fast. But listen, motivation is key. You see, if it's so they will see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven, well, whoopee, good for you, gold star. You're glorifying God with the way you're living your life. But if it's so, they'll see you and glorify you. So the song will be, hallelujah. Well, hey, that's not okay. And Jesus corrects that in our hearts and in our lives. Well, tonight, friends, we move on to the connection our spiritual life as a disciple is going to have with the material world we live in and vice versa. You see, modern man loves to separate our spiritual life, our beliefs and our thoughts, from our material life, that which is lived out. It's become all too common in our culture. I remember a quote from then-candidate for president, John Kerry, and he said this in a 2004 debate against then-President Bush. He said, I believe what it says in the book of James, faith without works is dead. Right on, John Kerry. I agree with that statement. It does say in the book of James that faith without works is dead. But then in the next debate, he stated, although I have a deep personal faith, I make it a point not to let my faith affect how I legislate. No, no. And friends, don't get me wrong. That's not a Republican, Democrat. Republicans say dumb things like that all the time. What I'm trying to show you is in our culture, in our culture, where we're constantly saying, oh, here's what I believe in the Bible, but I don't let it affect my life. No, no, not as disciples. That's not the way we're supposed to be. What I do with my money, my time, my day-to-day things in my life, it's not separate, it's interwoven into my spiritual life. You see, how you view those things, how you view the material things in our world, friends, it will affect you. It will affect you, and Jesus Let's his disciple know three ways, if you're taking notes tonight, three ways that it will affect your heart. Number one, for you note takers, materialism will affect your heart. It'll affect your heart. Look again at verse 19, where Jesus says, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. To communicate how material things will affect your heart, Jesus first gives his disciples a negative command, something not to do, and then he gives them a positive command, something they're supposed to do. The negative command, he says, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth. Jesus, don't do it. Don't store up for yourself treasures on earth. Why? Jesus didn't want his disciples to have the the have it all here mentality. And the reason he didn't want them to have the have it here and now mentality is because it simply won't last. If you're living for this life only, you are going to be sadly disappointed because this life doesn't last. 
In this life, things get corrupted. They get stolen. They get taken away. And you can't, in the end, take it with you, can you? Oh, there are people who try. I heard of a man who called up his three friends. He was a wealthy man. He called up his pastor, his doctor, and his lawyer. Well, you know this is a good story if it starts that way, right? And he gave each of these men, a pastor, a doctor, a lawyer, an envelope with $30,000 cash in the envelope. The man was dying. He said, friends, hey, I know they say you can't take it with you, but I'm going to try. At my funeral, what I want you to do, guys, is I want you to all be there. I know you'll be there. And when they're lowering the casket into the ground, each of you, I want you just to ceremoniously just throw in that envelope full of $30,000 in cash. And he said, you promise? You promise? And they, Okay, we will. We will. We will. So the day came. The man passed away. His funeral came about. And each man showed up with an envelope. And each man, as the casket was getting lowered into the ground, they tossed that envelope into the, into the, you know, into the man's casket as it was being lowered into the ground. And, and on the way to the reception, all three guys were in the same car. And the pastor began to speak first. Oh, so convicted. So convicted. Man, our church needs money. We're hurting. So I kept $10,000 of the 30, but it was for the Lord. It was for the Lord. And I gave it to our church so we could, so we could get some new chairs. This isn't a true story. Anyways, so, so anyway, that, that aside. So, so he says, you know, and then, then the doctor goes, well, hey, me too. Me too. Our, our clinic needed new equipment. And so I actually was worse. I kept $20,000. I only threw $10,000 into the man's grave and I bought some new equipment for our office. And the lawyer looked at the pastor and the doctor and he said, I am so ashamed and shocked at you guys. So ashamed. Throwing in only $20,000 and $10,000. I wrote him a personal check and threw in the whole amount. You see, you can't take it with you. You can't take it with you no matter how you try. The things we're invested in will fade, they'll rust, they'll get eaten by the elements or varmin. I mean, things don't last. And that's Jesus' point. You don't want to be investing in things that you can't take with you, things that won't last. So the positive command, instead, you are to lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. Treasures in heaven. We're to invest in eternity with our time, with our talents, with our finances. We're to invest in eternity. Why? Because that will last. But even more than that, friends, because our heart is going to follow. You see, it's good to take these things that we can't hold on to anyway and invest in eternity. It was Jim Elliott that said, a man is not a fool to give up what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. We can't keep these things, so I invest them because they're going to last when I invest them in the kingdom. But again, more than that, where I'm investing, my heart is going to follow. Do you hear what Jesus is saying? Not what you love is where your treasure is going to be. No, Jesus said it differently. He said, where your treasure is, your heart is going to follow. Friends, this can apply to a ton of things. It can apply to our marriages here tonight. Where your treasure is, your heart is going to follow. You know, people will say, I've just lost that love and feeling. Oh, that, never mind. 
I'll keep my day job. People say, I've, I've lost that. I, I, I want, but I just, I don't have feelings for her anymore. I don't have feelings for him anymore. I just don't love her. I don't feel that way. Do you feel that way? Listen to what God says. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Guys, invest in your wife with time, with effort. Invest in your wife. Gals, invest in your husband. But I don't feel it anymore. That's precisely why you must. Oh, you remember? You remember when love was new? For some of you, it was a while ago. But do you remember? You remember? Oh, you guys. When love was new, you were Ernest Hemingway. You just were a poet and nobody knowed it. You would write these messages. My love, your love beckons my heart to yours. Oh, precious deer of the valley. Or at least, you know, at least you were Dr. Seuss. Roses are red, violets are blue. Hey, pretty baby, I love you. Yes. Something like that. But there was effort, there was effort. You ladies. Oh, you were Susie Homemaker. Well, I made you brownies today. And when you eat these brownies, I want you to think how sweet you are to me. Oh. Oh. And then time marches on. My love beckons, becomes barely trying. And the think of the sweet brownies becomes take out the trash and think about how our marriage stinks. Hopefully not that bad. Hopefully not that bad. But listen, we need to heed the advice of Jesus to make her, to make him your treasure again. And watch what happens. The feelings will follow. It applies to marriage, but in this context, it applies to your relationship with Jesus. The view of you have on things will affect your heart. If you're focused on this life and this life only, your heart will be consumed by this life. But if you're storing up treasure in heaven, your heart's going to be in heaven. Your heart's going to follow. And maybe it's not the first time you were in love, but the first time you met Jesus, you remember. And you remember how you loved to come to church and sing songs to Him. You wouldn't want to miss church. You worship with passion. Your heart was on fire, but after a while... Ah, it becomes routine. Your heart grows cold. It's like Jesus told the church of Ephesus, is it growing cold? You know what needs to happen? You know what you need you to do? You know what you need to do? You need to remember from where you have fallen. You need to repent and do what? Get back to do the first works. Get back to that moment where your heart was following after him and your heart is going to follow. You see, our spiritual lives and the material things in our lives are not separate. How we view them is huge. Our view on material things will affect our heart. And secondly, not only will it affect your heart, your heart's going to follow what you're investing in. It'll secondly, it'll affect your will. It'll affect your will. Jesus lays out this truth in verse 24. He says, you cannot serve two masters. You're either going to be loyal to one and hate the other. You're going to love one or hate the other, be loyal to one, despise the other. And Jesus, again, is talking about material things, but I can't get off my mind the application to marriage. Maybe that's because someone here needs to hear this tonight. And the Lord is, the Lord is so good. He wants to speak to you. He wants to speak to you tonight. You can't serve two masters. You say my wife is my master. Well, you stood on a stage. I stood on this stage. 
11 years ago. And I made promises. I'm going to serve you like Jesus serves the church. You gals made promises to, to honor, to obey. And now it gets to the point, though, where we think, well, I, I know that, I know that, but it's okay if I flirt with others. It's okay if I just kid a little bit, the occasional look. Oh, listen, precious ones, to the Word of God. You cannot serve two masters. You will be loyal to one and hate the other. You will love one and despise the other. And again, I'm encouraging you tonight. The Lord is encouraging you tonight. Do you sense the love fading in your marriage? You can't serve two masters. You need to serve that bride that God has given to you. You need to serve that husband that God has put into your life. You need to realize this spiritual principle tonight. You cannot serve two masters. You cannot do it with a divided heart. Well, nothing's happened yet. Amen. God has brought you here tonight to speak to you, to encourage you, and to challenge you to love that one He has given you with all of your heart. To pour your heart into her and watch the feelings grow and come back again. To decide tonight to cut off serving someone else, even if it's just in the mind. Decide tonight. You can't serve two masters. And of course, applies to marriage, but the context is it applies to our relationship with Jesus. You already have a master. I don't know who you're serving. Hopefully Jesus. But I don't know who you're serving tonight, but you already have a master. Jesus is your master. Jesus, friends. Oh, I've been asked by a few this week. Hey, you should really pick a church that you're serving at. Where are you, Pastor Jason? You're here on Wednesday nights. Every other weekend you're in Paris, Texas. And then we hear on Sunday... That when Danny goes, now you're going to be doing college ministry. And, and I've had, probably not from you guys. It's those Sunday morning only folks. But, you know, some people have emailed in saying, hey, hey, I'm sad. Does that mean there's going to be no more Wednesday nights because you're now the, the college pastor? I had some emails from Paris, people that were sneaking a look at what we do here on Sunday morning. And they said to me, are you never coming back to us? I even had one person email me and said, what did you do? Did you get demoted to college pastor? Demote, demoted? Danny, I didn't know. I didn't know your job was so sad, Danny. I'm sorry, bud. Demoted? What? And then when I respond, no, I'm doing what I'm doing now. I love our Wednesday nights. I love them. God has given me such a heart for what we're doing here on Wednesday nights and the, the, the being discipled by Jesus that we're going to keep doing and then what we're doing after. Oh, God is just, I, lo- I love hanging out with you guys on Wednesday nights. You know what? I love still being associated with the church in Paris. I love it. I love those people so much and the fact that God has graciously for this season allowed me to still be involved in their lives. I, I, I love it. I love filling in for Pastor Rob when he's gone. That's what God told me to do was to lift up his arms and fill in the gaps. And you know what? I, I, I love those kids on Thursday night. I love them. And yet twice I hear, hey, you're serving two masters or now four masters. Pick one. Master Vista or Master Paris. What? 
Friends, it's Master Jesus. Jesus. And it's the church. It's church. Listen. We're one church. One church. There's one church. One body of Christ. One body of Christ. And it's His bride. Wherever it's located, no matter how old they are. And for those of you that are worried about me, oh, I appreciate your prayers. I really do. I'm praying. I'm fasting. I'm seeking the Lord on this stuff. I'm checking with my wife and kids. And when they tell me, hey, it's getting a little too much. Or when the studies start getting lame, you have every right to say, are you studying anymore for these Wednesday nights? You let me know if you feel that way. But until that time, friends, I want to reach as many people as possible because the time is short. Don't you? Don't you? Guys, we have a king. He is in heaven. He is our master. Who is your master? Who are you serving? Don't be deceived. Don't think that somehow Jesus can rule on Sunday, but the rest of the world can rule the rest of the week. You can't serve two masters. You remember the rich young ruler? He comes to Jesus and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And, you know, he goes through all the commandments. I've, you know, I've never done this. I've never done that. And Jesus says, there's one thing you lack. Sell all you have and give it to the poor. And it says he was sad for he went away because he had great riches. Understand the point of the study. It's not that riches are bad and poverty is good. No, the Bible says in 1 Timothy 6, 17 that God has given us all things richly to enjoy. All things. God wants us to enjoy. It's not wrong to possess things, but it's wrong when they begin to possess you. And that's what happened with the rich young ruler. It was that that was ruling his heart. It was that that was his master. And Jesus says that needs to go because you can't serve two masters. So for you and for me, Jesus is your master or something else is. There is no two ways about it. And listen, don't just be discouraged. Don't just think, oh, I'm, I'm, my heart's divided. I know it is. I wish it was different. Hey, turn the coin around, precious ones. God is telling you, you cannot serve two masters. So if you're here tonight, oh, listen up, listen up. You're here to, obviously you're here tonight. <laughs> if you're here tonight, <laughs> as opposed to you that are metaphysically not here tonight, if, if you're here tonight, listen, if you're hearing me tonight and you're struggling, I want to serve God. I'm falling so short. I want to be His, but it just... (sighs) Hey, take heart. You cannot serve two masters. So you decide tonight, I'm serving Jesus. I'm serving Jesus. No more divided heart. I'm going to serve Jesus. And you know what's going to happen, precious one? Slowly but surely, victory upon victory, Jesus is not going to share his throne with anyone or anything. You serve the Lord because no one can serve two masters. But you've got to hear this tonight because materialism will affect your heart. Materialism will affect your will. And thirdly tonight, materialism will affect your emotions. It'll affect your emotions. Look at verse 25. In verse 25, Jesus goes on to say, Therefore I say to you, Do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, and not about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? 
Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow and they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you that Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For after these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you have need of these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Materialism will affect your emotions. You see, a great test to whether or not we have the right view on the things of our our time, our, our resources, our talents, it's not when we sit in a study like this and nod our heads, yes, yes, that's good. But what happens when those things start to get tested in our lives? When the strain starts to come financially in our lives, when the relationship seems to be falling apart, how do we react? Jesus tells His disciples to react, telling them, do not worry. And notice, He says, don't worry about what you're going to eat what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear. Don't worry about your life. Hey, friends, those are pretty needful things. Those are things we can justify in our lives worrying about. I mean, you know, if you're worried, i got to drive a minivan instead of a loaded SUV. There's something inside you that just goes, I better count my blessings. And you should. You should. But what I'm going to eat... What I'm going to wear, my very life, my health. Man, those are things that I'm justified in being worried about. But Jesus tells his disciples, don't do it, period, he tells them. You see, the English term worry, it comes from an old German word that that means to strangle or to choke. And that's so good to understand because it's exactly what worry does. It, It chokes you out emotionally, spiritually, physically. And Jesus who loves you, and he does. He loves you, and he says, because of this, you need to learn not to worry. He tells him, don't worry about your life. Don't worry about your body. And that encompasses everything we are. The word life there is the word puska in the Greek, and it's translated soul. Many other places, it's that immaterial part of you. It's the real you. The word body is the word soma, and it refers to the physical shell, who you are outwardly. And so Jesus is saying everything, both your outward shell and the real you, your thoughts, your emotions, your ambitions, your dreams, about none of these things are you to worry. Well, that's easier said than done. Because that's opposite from the natural instinct. We worry about our physical bodies. We worry about the circumstances we're facing. We're worried because we're so focused on us. And we miss what Jesus is saying at the end of verse 25. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Isn't isn't there more to what you and I are about than these simple things? I remember I was studying at a Starbucks one day. And this young girl walked in and She's talking to her friend. Oh, my life is horrible, horrible. And she's going on to tell her why. You know, she's like, this girl came to school today wearing the same exact shirt as me. Can you imagine? Ah! And they're both like, ah! you know, oh, how did you get through the day? 
And then she orders this mocha, and she, you know, she's a mocha, and she, she takes one sip, and she's like, oh, it has caramel in it. And she didn't repeat her whole day, you know. Oh, someone wore the same shirt of me, and now this. I shouldn't even got out of bed this morning. And I found myself going, Lord, give this gal some real trials. <laughs> some, I know that wasn't nice of me, but that's what I was praying. Some real trials, Lord, because she sounds so... And then I remember the Lord just whispering to my heart, you know, sometimes, sometimes, sometimes you, sometimes you kind of sound like that. What? I never complain about someone wearing the same shirt as me. That's because no one has that bad of fashion sense. It'll never happen. That's, that's not, that, there's a reason for that. He's blessed us, friends. I know some of you have real struggles going on financially. But he's blessed you. You, you look around the world and you see where people, other people live in other countries and oh, we are so blessed. Even beyond the, the material stuff, he saved you by his grace. You're headed to heaven. <laughs> where all of these trials and these troubles that you get to surrender over to him get turned into crowns and responsibilities for all of eternity. In other words, what I'm saying is, it's like even the bad days are counting for something in your life now. We're really blessed. Really blessed. And we've got to see that life, life, it's more than what I'm going to put on. It's more than what I'm going to shove in my mouth. I mean, it's necessary, but it's more than that. And Jesus says, don't worry. And then he gives us some illustrations because it's kind of hard not to worry. So Jesus says, you've got to notice a few things. And the first thing he tells them to notice is he tells you, hey, you need to remember the example of the birds. The birds of the air. Because look at them. The birds of the air, they, 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 you know, they, they would sit there on, the, on, on, that, on that, that hill overlooking the, the, the Sea of Galilee where, where, the, where the study of the Beatitudes was given, the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, the wildlife up in northern Israel is so amazing. So they would have seen these birds fly over and no doubt Jesus just looked up and said, man, consider those birds. Consider them. Look at what they're doing. And he tells them, I take care of those birds. And God does. I mean, it's not that birds don't work. They work. They're busy. It's that they don't worry. I mean, what's the last time you've seen a stressed out bird? Angry birds. Wasting time at work. But not just how Stressed out. I mean, when is the last time it's like, you say, oh, Vern, where's my next worm coming from? I don't know. You know, I need, I need to see somebody. No, you just don't see that. Because, listen, because innately, God's going to take care of them. And what, listen, I'm not kidding. What's God's point? You're of more value than they. So, so if God takes care of the little birds, and I, I hope I don't set you green piecers, but this is Jesus' point. You're more valuable than the birds. That doesn't mean we don't love birds and take care of birds. Okay? Don't have to send me any emails. The reality is though, the reality is though, you, you are more valuable than them. You are. It is you that Jesus shed his precious blood for. And if he cares about the birds, how much more does he take care of you? You see, we need to remember who God is. We need to remember what what, what Nehemiah told the people. He said, remember the Lord, great and awesome. The people were worried. They were afraid. And Nehemiah said, don't you forget who you it is you're serving. Probably not that bad of English, but that's what he said. He spoke Hebrew anyways. Don't you forget. 
The Lord, great and awesome. That's who He is. David said in Psalm 37, I have been young and now I'm old, yet I've never seen the righteous forsaken. Do you believe that, church? Do you really believe that? Because if you do, you don't have to worry. You don't have to worry. You will not be forsaken. He goes on to say, and then, and then beyond the birds, consider the, the lilies of the field. Probably a generic term for the flowers. Again, northern Israel is gorgeous. Southern Israel, deserty. But, but, but northern Israel, gorgeous. It reminded me of San Diego. When I was there the first time, I was like, of course Jesus picked this place to be his like center of ministry. So would I, right next to the Sea of Galilee. Wind's blowing. It's a nice place. Anyways, it's beautiful. And the flowers... No doubt Jesus could have just, after pointing to the birds, just pointing to the flowers and saying, look at them, look how beautiful they are. Look how arrayed they are. You're worried about your clothes. These things are more decked out than Solomon ever was. And again, same point. You're more valuable than they. You don't have to worry. You don't have to worry. And sandwiched in between these two examples of why they don't have to worry is this nugget of wisdom in verse 27 where Jesus says, and by the way, which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? The word there could be translated height, age, both are ridiculous. Can you get taller by worrying? Oh, I wish that were true. I wish that were true. I would sit in my room and worry, 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 worry. I was tall as the demoted college pastor, Danny Williamson. That's what I would do. I would worry if it made me taller, but it doesn't. Sorry, Dan. (laughs) Does it make you older? Well, yes. Will it make you live longer? No. No. In fact, the opposite is true. You can't do it. It adds nothing to you. So again, Jesus says, I love you. And after giving him two illustrations that he provides for birds and flowers, then he gives him two reasons not to fear. Oh, we're almost done, but you've got to get these down. Write them down. Two reasons not to fear. He says, number one, because that's what the Gentiles do. That's what the Gentiles do. Now listen, the word Gentile, it's kind of a generic term in this sense for someone who doesn't know God. You see, in the Jewish mind, there were the Jews who knew God and the Gentiles who didn't. So what Jesus is saying is, the world has to worry because it's got no one to trust in. You see, if you don't know God tonight, if there's no one holding you, if you don't know that even the trials in your life, God's working them for His ultimate good in your life, well, then you probably should worry and you probably should give your life to the Lord tonight. But you're here on a Wednesday night, so I'm going to assume a lot of you, you know God. You don't have to worry. That's what an unbeliever does, who doesn't have a foundation. And even beyond that, the second reason, because your heavenly Father knows. Not only do you have a God to trust in, but but here's the deal. He knows what you're going through. And that word knows there, it's so interesting. It's the word Edo in the Greek, and and it means to perceive and understand. You see, it's more than he has an intellectual understanding. There is Jason Duff, born January 20th, 1978. So you're like, I was out of college by then. I can't sit here tonight. Sorry about that. But anyways, hair brown, eyes blue, going through trials right now. No. It's not just an intellectual understanding. 
He perceives what's going on in your life and he understands. When I was growing up, there are those people in my family, like probably your family too, that have some, some issues. And uh, my grandfather's brother was lots of issues, lots of mental issues. And I remember one day he showed up at our house with a shotgun telling us that he was Jesus and he was going and God, his father, told him to kill all of us. My sister, who was about four at the time, and my mom, and she was a single mom, so we're all at home alone. And this guy walks in with a shotgun, you're all dying today. So my mom like locks the door somehow quickly and gets us all kind of huddled under the, the, the kitchen with the brick around it. And she hands me the phone and she goes, I'm going to go talk to him. Call 911. I'm like, no, mom, don't talk to him. So I'm like, you know, I'm eight. And I'm like, 911. You know, and, I, and then this lady answers the phone. She's like, hello, 911, what's your emergency? And I'm like, uh, somebody in my family, I don't know who really is. He's in my backyard. He said he's going to kill us. He's got a gun. And then I remember to this day, the most bizarre questions from this 911 operator. Has he ever displayed violent behavior in the past? <laughs> I don't know. Currently, he's Jesus in my backyard with a shotgun. Currently. Has he actually pointed the gun at anybody? Was the next question. I'm huddled behind some brick. I don't know. My mommy is talking to him and might die soon. And then finally, finally, she, her, her last question is, you know, it, her last question was, so how do you think he, you can resolve the issue? I'm like, but you're sending police officers, you know, even at eight. I was like, what? And then she goes, listen, I understand what you're going through. No, you don't. No, 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 no. No, because I'm scared and I'm eight. And there's a man saying he's Jesus in my backyard with a gun. And you're like, is he violent? I don't know. I'll tell you soon. Is he pointing the gun at anybody? I'll tell you soon. I don't want to find out. And I felt like you don't understand. You don't understand. Maybe you feel like that toward the Lord. God, you don't understand. It's a lie from the enemy. You might not see it yet tonight. You might not have all the information yet. But God sees what you're going through and He understands. And He's actively working on your behalf tonight. You're a disciple. So you don't have to worry. So then what do I do instead? Last verse tonight. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. You see, instead of worrying, instead of biting my nails and thinking, oh, what's around the corner? What you and I need to do as disciples is I need to, you need to just keep seeking God. Seeking His righteousness. Seeking His kingdom. And knowing He will take care of the rest of the stuff as you do. And friends, to seek first by the way, that term means first in importance, not like first in order. You know, some of us seek first our vegetables because we want to get that out of the way and get to the good stuff and the food. You know you do. It's like, oh, I'm going to get through that. And your meat's all sitting there just like glory in just a moment. 
And some of us picture Jesus that way. It's like, okay, I did my devotions today. I've got Jesus out of the way. So now, oh, no. As a matter of importance, I'm seeking Him. I'm seeking Him that my life, my talents, my finance, Lord, they're yours. John Wanamaker, a tremendous man of industry, was also the postmaster general for the United States. At the same time, he ran the largest adult education department at the largest church in America at the time. And people would say to him, like they said to me this week, how, what, how are you doing that? How's everything okay? And he would say to them, that Sunday school department, that's the kingdom. And everything else, my business, serving the government, it's just things. He would build himself, he built himself a soundproof room in his office. And he would go into every morning with just this book right here, a notebook and a pen. And he would say, God, I'm here to seek your face, to follow after you, because you, you, you are my master. Well, none of us probably in this room have money to build a soundproof room. <laughs> you don't have to. Get up early in the morning. Get your Bible. Get your notebook. Get your pen. Because friends, there is a kingdom that's coming. There is a kingdom in heaven. And that kingdom has a king. And he has a will for you and for me. And it's so good for you and I as disciples to say, Lord, here I am. To seek your will. To seek your kingdom. I know you'll take care of the things. I know you'll take care of that which worries me and concerns me. Lord, may my only concern be, what do you want me to do? What is your will and desire for my life? What have you put right in front of me right now? God, may I do it with all of my heart. Amen? Amen. Father, we come before you tonight and oh, that's, that's what I want from my life, Lord. I want to be a man who realizes that I have a king and you are he. And it is my desire, Lord, to seek you first. To seek you as first importance and to say, Lord, what do you want to do? Where are you going? What are you about? And Lord, I pray for my precious friends here tonight. I pray for those watching online this evening. Lord, I don't want to diminish the real things that these precious people are going through. For their trials are real. The sicknesses are real. The hurts are real. The fears are real. But the reality is, we serve a real, living Savior who is alive. And you take care of birds and flowers. And Father, you've told us, we are of so much more value than they. 
So God, may we not act like the unbelievers that don't have a firm foundation. May we understand that you know and you perceive. God, may it go from our head to our hearts because Lord, how we see these things, they will affect our emotions. They will affect the will. They will affect the heart. We want all that we are and all that we have surrendered to you that again, we might be your disciples. God, I also want to pray tonight for anyone here that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior. Anybody watching at home or listening to this study at a later date that doesn't know you, God, they sense a distance between you and them. I pray tonight would be the night that they would decide to give their life to you and start that journey as one who is saved, who's redeemed, who's loved by God, a disciple, Jesus Christ. So if that's you tonight, you just sense a distance from God. Friend, the reality is sin separates us from God. And whether you've never dealt with that sin or or whether you gave your life to the Lord, but it was a while ago and, and you've been making poor choices and you've gone a totally different direction, the good news is, the gospel is, God has lo- loves you and has paid the price for that sin. But you need to invite him to be your savior and be your Lord. Romans 10, 9 says, if you will believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you will be saved. And so if you want to start that journey tonight, if you want to get back on track and back to him, then right now where you sit, maybe you just pray a prayer between you and him, something like this, Something that would say, Lord, I believe in you. And I want you to be my Savior. I want you to be my Lord. So would you come into my heart? Would you come into my life? Would you forgive me of my sin? Would you take what you did on the cross and let it count for me? For Lord, right now, I want to give my life to you. Would you teach me what it means to be a Christian? Would you teach me what it means to be a disciple? In Jesus' name, amen.